Beers Business and Balls presented by House Enterprise and brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com slash house and get 20% off your order and free international shipping. That's across the globe. Free shipping on Manscaped products. I'm Jake and that's Will. Um, hell of a couple of weeks it's been for us. Um, how, how was Dubai? I know we talked about it, but give us the official review. Uh, your pictures were sick. Everything you did looked sick. Uh, what's the review of the Middle East? Dubai, one of a one of a kind of experience. I'll tell you that. Um, very hot, hundred degrees. It's an interesting city because I'm a big history guy, and because it's so new, there's no history. If that makes sense, like it's it's very. I mean, it's very. I wouldn't say touristy is the word, but ritzy ditzy. A lot of shopping. There was a lot of cool architecture, like in the buildings. And again, it's all new style. I mean, you have like apartments that are stacked up, like uneven with each other and buildings with holes in the middle and everything is just very um, built up and glitz and glam, but a lot of money there, a lot of oil money, and it's very present, but definitely, um, definitely an experience. I mean, if everyone, if anyone gets the chance to go out there, I would, I don't know if I'd go back. Yeah, that was my next question to you. Yeah. It's like, can you go back again? What else is there for you to do, basically? I mean, I could have done more of like the like the mosques and stuff. Um, didn't really have time to like squeeze that. And I saw them like from the outskirts, but be able to visit. Um, I mean, I, I got to go to the safari. I got to go to the Burj Khalifa on top. I was in a very beachy resort area. So did a lot of outdoor stuff got to go on a boat ride throughout the harbor. I mean, there wasn't, I did what I wanted to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was just for 14 hours for, you know, less than a week. It was, it was a lot, but if I did it again, if I did it again, I would definitely, I would make that a layover somewhere. So whether it's, I mean, it's so like if you're going to Asia, like yeah. I was like, China's not really on my list at the moment, but you know, maybe if I did the reverse way and flew into Dubai for 48 hours, then Australia, that could work. But that's still a long, that's a long trip. Yeah, is you didn't get to go on those ATVs like everyone does, did you? Yeah. Oh, the oh yes, you did. Got it. Yeah, in the safari. So that's it was. Cool. I mean, the desert was the desert was pretty cool. But again, though, like it was, it was, it was becoming very like, not touristy, but it's like, okay, like everything is, everything is organized and set up and, you know, pay for your picture kind of thing. So what, like, what is it? Everything's probably expensive, right? Like what's the beer cost? No, I mean, well, because it's a, um, you know, an Arabic country and they, they follow, uh, um, islam like you can't really drink in many places um and the beers that i got were all either included at the hotel or included on my package with the burj khalifa mm-hmm. so but if you just pr- put it in perspective i went to mcdonald's because i wanted to try the mcarab uh no free ads for mcdonald's but you know Wait, it was, it was Arab. it's like literally um a pita like a gyro oh i just looked it up that's uh, all right, well, review the Mc- Very good. Arabia. Yeah. yeah, I would I would give that like a 9.2 out of 10. That was, shit. yeah, that one, like, it was kind of like, it was kind of like the Middle Eastern version of a snack wrap. 
and like I love the snack like the snack wrap used to be my jam but I got that a bottle of water and a coke for like four dollars yeah it's pretty damn good and like I mean everything else in general like the food wasn't necessarily like you could get a meal with like a drink for like 15 bucks okay one perspective that I thought was crazy because it's an oil country like my taxi from the airport to the hotel, which was about like 25 minutes away, was like 17 US dollars. Oh, damn. Yeah. And you'd be paying like probably double that at least in the US. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what? Well, that. Yeah. So overall, good experience. Very hot. But more photos to come on houseenterprise.com slash the blog slash the photos, photo blog. But- <laughs> How was Portland on your end? It was very good. Uh, rained a little bit, but it was kind of like a lull, like four o'clock, uh, you know, head back to the hotel, chill a little bit, wait for dinner. Um, Portland. All right. Here's my official stance on Portland. It was fun. I'd go back. I think my next trip would like to do a full beer tour. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can spend at least three full days hopping breweries in Portland. Um, so I think that, but also I think it's just day trip material for me now. Like I don't, unless I'm doing a beer tour, I think I'm cool with waking up early, driving in. Um, that's a long day trip. It is, but I mean, there's, I think that's all you need. That's a long, long day trip. I, I do agree. It depends on what you're doing too. So, all right, there's, there's three scenarios to go to Portland. Number one, you do a beer tour for a couple of days. Number two, you do a day trip, you know, you shop around a little bit, you get a, a Portland Lobster Company uh, lobster roll, which by the way, I enjoyed. Here's my take on lobster rolls. Um, not enough bang for your buck. I'm just going to say it. They never are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like Unless that. You, yeah, they never are. It's the lobster was good. It was, you know, I would have it again, but like for $26, um, it's a toasted bun with lobster and mayo, you know? Yeah. Like you can, I would say you can make that for cheaper, but you probably can't. So, um, overall good, you know, so that, that was good. Um, but the other way you can do Portland is if you like, you know, you, you go to the beach for a couple of days and you make Portland one of your days up there. You know, yeah. I, I think it's not a place that I would go back and just stay for three days and just stay in Portland. Um, got to go to the lighthouse, which was cool. A lot of crazy pictures up there, but that's a good transition into beer. Um, Portland, Maine, I, do we declare this the craft beer capital of New England? Because it's close. Um, See, I think if we had the conversation five years ago, 100%. Yeah, but, but now, now I feel like the gap has, like the gap has um, closed very quickly. And again, I'm not even being biased, but you can start pointing to like Rhode Island because of like size as well. Like not even just Providence. I'm saying Rhode Island because everything is only like 20 to 30 minutes away that yeah. it would still be equidistant. But I mean, Portland has all of them, main beer company, Bissell brothers. Uh, uh, what's the Austin street brewery is a big one. Uh, Orno uh, Lone Pine. No, I'm thinking um, of a uh, sh- shipwreck. Shipyard? Shipyard, shipyard. Yeah. Shipyard's there. Yep. Yeah. Um, Allagash, too. Downtown. Allagash. That's a very big one. Allagash White. Nothing better than a, a crisp Belgian wheat uh, on a hot day. 
Yeah, there's, you make a good point. Maybe five years ago, yes. I think Providence is certainly, or Rhode Island is very competitive with Portland at this point. Um, there's even some Massachusetts markets that, you know, will compete with Portland. But I still think that's like, when you look at craft beer in New England, maybe it's the, the OG for sure. Um, yeah, that, they're still doing some really cool stuff. I think Lone Pines come out with a bunch of crazy stuff. My favorite though, Main Beer Company. I know you've reviewed Main Beer Company. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this a lot. Um, I can't remember if you've been to the actual place though. Have you been? I there? have, yeah. So very interesting. It kind of gave me like vibes of what I thought Treehouse in the Cape would be. Um, and again, I've never been to Treehouse in the Cape, but it's got the white and black colors, very basic, the the really bright wood finishes everywhere. This is probably the coolest tap room I've had a beer in this year. Um yeah. I got a flight. Um, I got dinner. Everybody's got to have dinner at Main Beer Company. The beer, not the actual meal. Um, that that's easy at four two five, but that, that's for another day. Um, I want to review Black Barn Program number thirty two by Main Beer Company, though. That was a really interesting one. Um, they do this Black Barn Program thing. I'm not really sure where it comes from. I think it's literally a barn called Black Barn that's nearby, but um, it was a wheat beer. And usually you go to main beer company or the craft for the IPAs, right? It's, you want to drink an IPA in Portland, totally get it. But the, this wheat beer was really good. Um, they used very bright hops. They had a little bit of citra. Um, they took a bunch of different local malts from different farms. I'm reading it now. Um, very light. It's clear beer. You could see through it basically. Um, I got a lot of fruity aromas from it. A um, little bit of black pepper behind it too. And it was a kind of a, I don't necessarily like my wheat beer sweet, but you know, it, there's, there's something missing without like a, a tint of sweetness, right? So I, I'm giving this a 375, which I thought excelled for a wheat beer. Um, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Wheat beers and lagers, very tough for them to get over a 3.5 on our scale. This rose to the occasion. I thought it, then it did some. I wish I had a full pint of this. If I had more time, I would have had a full pint of Black Barn Program number 32. That's a review. Uh, you got to check out Main Beer Company. The coolest tap room I've been in in 2022. Um, you could spend the full day in Freeport and head to Main Beer Company. There's a lot of cool stuff up there. Um, and I think if we go on a beer tour up there, that'll be a very big stop. Yeah, we'll have to see if there's any beer festivals, try to get in for that, but... Portland, um, yeah, Portland's a, I, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, I've been thinking about it when you were talking, I'm like, is it still probably considered the capital? I would, yeah, but I just don't think it's like the definitive capital. Like no, five years ago, yeah. only go to Portland for craft beer. Anymore. Yeah, but if like five years ago you asked everyone, it's like, oh, where's the best beer in uh, New England? Like, undoubtedly, everyone would say Portland and Treehouse, where there's, it would be like, Portland's the city treehouse, obviously not in Portland, but is the number one in New England. That's not definitive anymore. It's still probably the majority or favorite, but it's nowhere near, you know, the heavy favorite or that, you know, that definitive and that much of a statement. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that, but let's, uh, let's, let's kick it over to you. What's on tap for you? Yeah, I'm just gonna, you know, do a quick one, not really a craft beer, but Kingfisher Premier Lager from United Breweries. I think it's an Indian, uh, an Indian beer itself. 
uh, 3.25, not good at all, but bump it up for, uh, it, it's over a three just because I had it at the world's tallest tower and, you know, the elevation definitely, um, had me feeling nice, but it's an average logger. I was going to do a Heineken, but I was like, what's the most local or like beer I can get closest from this side of the world. And it was that, um, yeah, just to say like I had it all the way at the top. 155 stories up was uh pretty insane but we'll get some more true craft beer next week and the week after oh you have to review that though i think we should do an episode like maybe we try to get our hands on presidente um presidente yeah that was i think the worst beer i've ever had yeah Um, we yeah we should find the worst beers that we've ever had and review them I mean, I did, I, uh, the picture always comes up and I posted it on the, the podcast story a year or two ago, but in Spain, they used to like, in most places in Europe, you can sell the beer, they sell the beer individually. So it's like, we got, we bought the people that I lived with, bought every single, uh, Spanish beer and we like ranked them. (laughs) That's pretty, that was like, and that was like early on into my untapped too. So it's like, you have to go all the way back in the beginning, but it was like, um what were the ones there was like uh san miguel estrella um cruz campos i mean they're all just oh, like god cruz campo yeah the same lager beers but it just sounds like a hangover cruz campo oh, yeah I, I, was, I remember drinking like at clubs probably with you like cruz campo and uh and desperados at night too. desperados yeah i like the i like desperados that's that's uh my hot take is that I, I think they sucked. Really? Um, I just didn't like the two flavors of it. was like tequila beer, basically, I right? Mean, it it's like, te- it is tequila beer. Yeah. I just don't know that those mesh, like the closest yeah. I get to a tequila beer is what we had last week, which was that sea salt lager with lime. That's mm-hmm. the closest I want to be getting to that kind of shit. Yeah. I don't know. We should, that would be fun. If there's anyone, we've got to find a place that sells international beers like that though. Like very low quality run of the mill international built beers. Someone's got to, it's got to be near us, right? Like there's got to be somewhere in New England that does it or New York or something. I feel like they have to. So if you're listening to this and you know, an international beer place, please hit us up and we might have to do like a shitty international beer review. Um, And then, and then some good ones more importantly, but um, very cool. Uh, that's Kingfisher premium locker from United Breweries and, um, and Black Barn program number 32 for Main Beer Co. Um, we'll talk about business next week. There's just like, this is one the week where we can just bite it off, uh, all of it, but we like don't have time to discuss how bad inflation is right now. And oh yeah. I mean, everything just sucks. It's not good. So stocks, we'll, stocks down everything's yeah. yeah. I guess real quick, Elon's, you know, he's, he's dragging his thing on. Uh, he's trying to prove, or he's saying that um, everything on Twitter is spam, basically. Twitter only says 5% of their accounts are spam. Well, deal's on hold until then. We'll probably talk about that more next week. Uh, that's just not good. Not I, good. I don't know. I've got a bad feeling about that. Um, more importantly, let's go to our guest uh, this week, Maury Hirsch-Gordon from WPRI. Um, I know a few weeks ago, even the small states guys were like, dude, we got to get Maury Hirsch-Gordon on. Um, so maybe maybe that's in the future for Maury. Um, sports director at WPRI, that's Channel 12 in most Rhode Island markets. You probably know him from there. Uh, really good dude. Spent a lot of time with us breaking down the NBA finals. Maury's covered the Celtics uh, all year. Um, 
really great stuff. This is going to be a weird series. We break it all down with Maury and uh, let's dive into it. Here's our NBA finals preview with Maury Hirschborden. All right, everybody with us this week, we have a local new celebrity, a golfer, uh, a basketball man, but a friend of the program, Maury Hirsch Gordon, the WPRI sports director. He's also the host of PC Hoops with Coach Cooley on WPRI. We'll start with some Celtics first, then we'll get into some PC basketball. But Maury Hirsch Gordon joins the show this morning. Uh, first and foremost, Maury, welcome to the show and uh, how's everything going? Yeah, Will, Jake, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, you know, everything's great right now. We just flipped the page to June and the Celtics are still playing hoops. And as you guys noted, you know, I'm a hoops junkie, much like you guys. So uh, can't complain with an extended run here into the month of June. And, you know, that only means after the run, you know, we'll have four or five weeks off. And before you know it, we'll be in Foxborough for Patriot season. So uh, that's that's the great thing about local news is you get to cover a broad range of teams at different levels. Uh, and, and, you know, you, the schedule's never slow. Uh, even if you think the summer months are going to be a downtime, we thought in January the Bruins weren't going to do much uh, before they got on a run. And the Celtics weren't going to be much. They were under 500. And, and here we are. We've got a team in the, uh, in the NBA Finals. It's unbelievable. I, I was yeah, going to say, you've yeah. had hell of a, you know, a full, full slate of basketball. I mean, this is probably the first time in many, many years that, you know, you had the Friars go with this far let alone, I mean, it's been a while since the Celtics have made it to the finals, but, you know, how you feeling after uh, two long seasons? Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's been great. You know, uh, it was my first year taking over. Uh, I took over last July when Yanni Krakis left town. And uh, it was, you know, dove, dove head, you know, head first into high school football and Patriots too. So uh, it's really been a, a, a year of growth, you know, in my first year in this role professionally, uh, personally as well. And, uh, hopefully I've done a, a, a good job for our audience and uh, we'll continue to grow and learn, but really looking forward to this opportunity to be able to cover an NBA finals. So you're a Philly native, uh, Quinnipiac alum, uh, kind of hopped around a bunch of different geographical places. How'd you get to Rhode Island? And were you surprised that you're like, Oh, Rhode Island, I get to cover all these big market Boston teams and things like that. Yeah. So it's interesting. I actually vacationed up here with my family a couple times when I was young, elementary school, middle school, um, sort of before baseball and basketball got hot and heavy um, in the AAU circuit, sort of like late middle school, high school age. So I had been familiar with Newport and Rhode Island before, um, you know, we're still on the East coast and uh, Boston is one of the closest cities to Philly outside of New York and DC. So, uh, you know, I, I hated Tom Brady growing up. We lost to, to the Pats in the Super Bowl and, the Giants won two Super Bowls in the NFC East. And, you know, all during my childhood, late 90s, early 2000s, I heard my dad talk about the great Cowboys teams of, of the late 80s and early 90s. So, uh, you know, I had been familiar with this area and the success. Uh, and then going to Quinnipiac in Connecticut, you know, I, I was up here a number of times, whether it was covering Quinnipiac soccer game against URI or baseball, or I actually had a, a high school teammate come up here and pitch for URI for a few years. So was definitely familiar with the spot and it was definitely a targeted goal to be able to get here for my second jump. Uh, like you mentioned, after I was in college in Connecticut, I jumped out to Wisconsin for a hot minute. I was there for a year, uh, an hour from Green Bay. So got to cover the Packers, uh, got to cover the Wisconsin Badgers and uh, their run to the Big Ten Championship in 2017. So, uh, you know, right when I was sort of looking for that next step, I knew that Providence was such a great market and 
you know, maybe I'm biased and, and I'm sure you guys would agree, but I think Providence is one of the best sort of like, you know, second tier markets in the country. You know, they're, we're on the cusp of being a huge market, but you get to cover sports at all three levels. Um, I mean, in my time here now, it's an NBA finals. I was in St. Louis for a Stanley Cup final, got to cover the Red Sox World Series in 18 and the Patriots Super Bowl in, in February of 19. That's the pro sports. College sports, we just got off a great run going to the Sweet 16 with PC. Uh, PC hockey went to the Frozen Four a few years back. And then in the high school and, and local ranks, we had, we've had two teams go to Williamsport in the last few years. Um, and, and I had the opportunity to go there once. So it's really, it's, uh, you know, I was introduced to the championship culture really quickly here. And uh, it's continued now. I'm going on my fifth year starting next week. You forgot a uh, well. Congratulations first, but you forgot a key uh, Division One player that made the tournament this year, and that's that's a team <laughs> right. that everybody doubted. And there was one news guy that showed up uh, in the dark days, and that was you. So exactly, yep. thank you for your support of Brian Bulldogs basketball. Hey, I, I tell that story all the time. It's January fourth, twenty twenty. The Patriots are obviously hosting the Titans in the wild card round of the of the NFL playoffs, and that afternoon, I believe it was like a. 3.30 or a 4.30 tip, uh, Jared Grasso in his first year is hosting Central Connecticut State in front of about five people. Uh, and I was one of those and Jake was one of those. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I knew, you know, obviously Jared being a Quinnipiac grad and me being a Quinnipiac grad, I had known, you know, Jared through, you know, through some people. And then I also covered Quinnipiac heavily when he was the associate head coach at Iona. Uh, and Iona had a ton of success in the Mac. So I had followed Jared for four or five years before I got here. And everyone, when they, when they, when I came in, was like, Oh, Brian's coming off a three and 28 season. They got wooden bleachers. The chases run down, blah, you know, yada, yada, yada. I was like, no, Jared's going to turn it around pretty quickly. I didn't think he'd get to the championship game in year three. Um, you know, I thought maybe like this year was the year they were going to break through, which they did, but they really broke through last year as well. You know, two consecutive championship game appearances. So I knew that stock was rising. Uh, it was just going to take a little time to sort of weed out the bad players and get his type of players and his type of coaching um, in Smithfield. But yeah, I, I totaled my car trying to go to a Bryant Central game uh, before having to go live uh, for Patriots Titans pregame on, on WPRI 12. So luckily everything, you know, uh, other than the car is, is safe and sound and no one got hurt. And it was a freak little freak little accident. But um, yeah, that's my, that's my Bryant basketball story being there in the dark times. Well, he's a real one. He's a real one. We got the stamp of approval and uh, in a couple of years, it'll be that nice new uh, stadium right on campus and uh, it'll be sold out every night. We're, we show, with hopefully multiple uh, tournament appearances, not just the one, this was no. Exactly. So Obviously, we know your work and many of our listeners do, but the ones outside of Rhode Island, as well as the ones who don't really understand how a newsroom works, what does a sports director actually do? Yeah, I, I wear a lot of different hats, Will, is how I would describe it. Um, you know, in a market like this, I'm obviously the lead anchor, so I'm on five nights a week. Uh, but then I'm also, you know, responsible for producing. Uh, so I'll come in and um, you know, I have a blank slate of, you know, about three minutes at the six o'clock news, three and a half, four minutes, you know, for our late shows. And um, it's a blank canvas when I come in, I have to, you know, produce everything, write everything, cut all the video. You know, obviously I have help from great teammates right now in my department, JP Smallins, Taylor Begley and Stan Knox, 
um, that, that, that help that shoot games that shoot packages. But uh, for the most part, all creative Liberty is up to me uh, to sort of lead the group. And um, that's sort of a daily look at, you know, our local sports cast, but we also do so many, you know, special programming shows. And you mentioned the PC hoops with coach Cooley. That's a half hour every week. Uh, in the fall, we do two half hour Patriot shows every week and we do a half hour high school football show. So my Fridays in the fall are a lot, um, but I wouldn't trade it for the world because, you, you know, you come in at 9 a.m., you're producing the Patriot show. We tape a patch show Friday afternoons. It gets sent out to five different markets around the region. And then, you know, you quickly flip the page and you're doing high school football, you know, from 7 to 12. Um, and then on Sundays, we've got game day. We've got Pats football. And then we've got a half hour Patriots wrap show that we that we air at 1030 uh, on Fox Providence on Sunday night. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different things. You're also, you know, uh, responsible for like submitting credentials and all the managerial stuff behind the scenes. So it's definitely a big step up uh, from where I was before. But I, I do like the fact that when I got to Providence, I spent almost two years as the number three. So grinded from the, from the bottom, uh, learned from Ruthie and Yanni at the time. And then Ruthie went to Miami. I went up to the number two, was there for about two years. And now I'm the sports director. So I feel like I know the organization. I know the newsroom well, as opposed to sort of being a transplant and coming, just coming right in as a sports director and not really understanding the other roles and responsibilities of the people that are below me. Because I, I tell my guys all the time, I say, you know, I'll never ask you to do something that A, I've never done before because I've been in those roles or B, I don't do now. And that's sort of the way that I go about it. I, you know, I think I'm, I feel like I'm a coach, um, you know, as a sports director, that's sort of how I approach it. Um, you know, we, we work hard, but, you know, we have a lot of fun and we get rewarded and um, we, we try to do the best job we can every day. Yeah. It was really cool. Um, cool to see that progression. And especially in this market, you know, the, you know, you get that recognition, uh, people coming up to you, you know, giving you a fist bump at a PC game or something like that. Um, cool to see. So a big part of your role is covering the Boston Celtics. Um, what a turnaround they had this year. As we get into the NBA finals preview here, they had a real disappointing start, uh, new coach, some roster turnover, and everybody's kind of just accepting their fate as all right, you know, this, this is a rebuilding here. They'll try to get their ever, you know, try to get their team together basically. Um, and next thing you know, you blink and June 2nd, they will be in an NBA finals game. Um, what changed for them? Like what, what makes this team different than they were in December and January and how'd they get to the NBA finals here? I think it boils down to two words and that's Ime Udoka. Um, he, I think what he's done has been tremendous. I think he, he deserved to be one of the coaches of the year. You know, he was obviously close there, um, you know, and, and in the running for it, but he, 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 he somehow got this team to believe he got this team to believe in who they are. He got this team to believe in, in, in what they represent. And he got this team to believe in the fact that you wear Boston Celtics across your Jersey every night. And, and, and you have to take some pride in that. Um, and, and, you know, when things aren't going well in basketball, you have to lock in on the defensive end. That's where it starts. And that's what happened. Jason Tatum has grown tremendously in a lot of areas this year. Defensively, I think is one of, you know, his strong points now to his game. Um, you know, obviously his playmaking ability and his passing and, uh, the way he reads defenses has grown, um, you know, Jalen Brown as well, but, you know, it started with 
you know, Marcus Smart on the defensive end, the, the defensive player of the year. It helps when you have a guy, you know, like that uh, on that side of the ball. And then they have just good trusty vets and whether it's like a Daniel Tice or an Al Horford, just guys that have been around us a long time and said, Hey, we've got so much of the season left. Okay. It's January and we're a few games under 500, but if we can just get to like the four, the five seed, you know, we'll have a chance. Um, nobody expected them to jump all the way to two. Um, but the way things fell out and Milwaukee didn't play hard the last night of the season, bang, they're the number two seed. And they rode that momentum. I don't believe that they'd be in this spot now if they didn't win that last game of the season when Milwaukee was trying to avoid the Nets. Um, and, it, and it starts with Ime Udoka. So he did it in January. He kept that momentum. And then he kept it to the end of the season and said, no, that's not our identity because these guys hadn't won anything. No one's been to the NBA finals. So why do you think you should have to not play the Nets in the first round? Why are you avoiding teams? You're not that good. You're not, you're not LeBron when you know, LeBron sits out a little bit to get rest for the playoffs because he's been there and won it before. You, you have to go and you have to earn your stripes. And, and it started with the head coach. Absolutely. And you made a few points into that one, but uh, one that kind of came up, you were mentioning in January how they were just a couple games under 500. We're both Knicks fans, and uh, I remember the game in January where obviously R.J. Barrett hit the three over Jason Tatum. That was kind of like the turning point of the Celtics propelling into this spot now. Um, you know, they weren't doing too well. They obviously lost to the Knicks, which you know, the Knicks, it's not, it's not fun being a Knicks fan these time of days, but that was uh, obviously a great game in itself. But what other factors do you, have you seen besides the defense or the coach that has put them to put them into this spot? Yeah. It's the buy-in on the offensive floor is, is one B it's passing up the first shot on the offensive end to, to get the next great shot. Um, and we see that's even when they've struggled in the playoffs. Now it's, it's still true. It's, Look at the end of the game in game seven. You know, that's what everyone's talking about right now. But when Marcus Smart jacks up those threes early in the shot clock or off the first pass or Jason Tatum, you know, has, has you know, one of his off games in the Buck series, I forget which game it was, jacking up like 23s. And, and you know, I think that was the game Grant Williams went off. But, um, you know, when, when, when that happens and they don't share the basketball, they, they, they start to get in trouble. They get stagnant on the offensive end. Um, they don't grab offensive rebounds and then it carries over to the defensive end and they end up, you know, most of the time losing. So, um, you know, I think it's on, on the offensive end, they, they share and they got to trust in their teammates and they are so interchangeable. Um, you know, multiple guys can guard multiple spots and also play multiple spots on the offensive end. And, uh, I, I think that's definitely what it is. It starts with their leader in Jason Tatum. I mean, all NBA guy at 24 years old, you know, most of the season he was 23. You know, this dude is special. And uh, I think still the, the best is yet to come. And we'll see what happens with this final series because he really has a chance. If he can win one at 24, he's going to have a chance to win, you know, maybe three or four more. You mentioned Udoka as well. And this is a guy that but I, I suppose the reviews were sort of mixed when he came in, right? It was, it's an unproven guy. Well, not maybe unproven necessarily, but, you know, no head coaching experience uh, at the NBA level. You know, is he ready for this? Uh, played with Tim Duncan, played for the Nigerian national team, all this stuff. So what what has been the biggest lift that he's given this team? Is it the X's and O's? Is it the sort of motivation? What, as you understand it, does Ime Udoka do really well? Yeah, we, we see it in the press conferences even yesterday. I think, Jake, it's his even keel nature. 
NBA seasons and professional sports seasons are so long and so grueling. And there's so much travel and so many demands that regardless of a bad first two months or a great first two months, you can't get too high and you can't get too low. And I know it's a little bit cliche and I know a lot of sports coaches talk about that, but when I'm listening to Ime yesterday talk about, you know, the team before they travel out to the Bay area, it's not that he seems sad. It's just like, he's just having a regular conversation. Like there's no emotion in it because you can't get too high when you start well, because adrenaline can't last you the whole season and, and you can't get too low or else the Celtics would never have picked themselves up off the mat like they did in January. So I think that consistent daily approach um, is his greatest trait. And, and I think, you know, uh, it starts with him. And then, you know, you have some help from a Brad Stevens who's been there before. Uh, Whit Grosbeck is a longtime owner uh, and has had a lot of success and um, he's got a good coaching staff as well. So, uh, and you got trusty veterans as well in, in the locker room. So uh, I think with Ime Udoka, it's, it's that even keel nature. It's, it's we're going to attack every day and we are going to forget what happened the day prior. And, um, you know, you know, I strive to be like that every day because, you know, a, a quote, you know, I, you know, I live by is you're never as good as your best days. You're never as bad as your worst. You're, you're somewhere right in the middle every right. You get off a good broadcast. You're feeling yourself. You think you're good. Boom. Next broadcast, you sort of lighten up. You thought you were good and, and it wasn't great. So this, you know, the Celtics are somewhere sort of right in the middle. And I think that's right where Ime Udoka lands all the time. I love how the narrative changed where, you know, when they hired Udoka, not many people, I mean, people recognize the name, but no one said anything, but now he's in the finals and it goes, well, the Cavs, the Pacers and the Kings were all heavily considering him, but you know, the Celtics were the ones that got away with it. And it's, it, it's just funny, but I mean, this is obviously a rookie coach. Last time we saw a rookie coach in the finals and win, it was against the Warriors as well. It was Nick Nurse and the Raptors. Uh, you know, what are the biggest challenges the Celtics will see when going up against this Warriors team in your perspective? Yeah, obviously we talk about the three-point shot a lot with the Warriors and, and, and you know, they step in two, three feet into half court and, and they're, they're within range. Um, you know, we've watched it now for close to a decade. I think what the Celtics need to worry about is what comes off of the threes, what comes off of the action, you know, outside of the arc, it's the back screens, it's the movement without the ball, it's the cutting. That's where I think potentially the speed and the finesse of the warriors can get through the Celtics. The Celtics are a physical team. They're longer. They are tougher. They are stronger. The last two teams they've played match the Celtics um, roster. In, in the Heat and the Bucks, The Warriors are a little bit different, but if the Celtics can impose their will and they can cut off those lanes and they can get bodies, you know, in front of screeners and, and, and on top of screeners and um, in the middle of the lane so that guys can't maneuver, I think that's where they can find success. But, um, you know, the action that comes off the three-point shot is going to be very tough. And Ime Udoka talked about it. His staff's going to be up late at night, right up until game one. Um, you know, reviewing tape and, and doing everything they can to try to uh, counter, you know, the, the action that the Warriors get. It's so hard to stay down on your feet when you see a shot fake because, you know, the Warriors may get 40% from three. You've got to contest it hard. But if you contest it super hard to get out of position, then, then the defensive breakdown begins. This was a super interesting regular season too, Maury, because the – I mean, their matchups were very drastically different. You have a four-point win that the Warriors had to squeak out in 2021. And then 
when the Celtics are starting to get a little wind in their sails, they manhandle them. I think it's 110 to 88 was the score. So I don't know if you've had the chance to, to sort of look at those, um, but what, I mean, was it just a matter of the team being different, you know, different stages of the, of the season for them, or was there, you know, something different at play in those two matchups in the regular season? Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, I've looked back at them a little bit the last few days and, and I think a lot of it is just the Celtics this year have struggled in close games. Not sure why, um, but when they get out to a big lead or, or when they at least gain some traction first, second quarter, you know, they don't necessarily need to have a huge lead then, but just the confidence builds um, and they're able to put teams away. And, and, and when they, one thing the Celtics have done well this year is when they smell blood, they've put teams away. Um, and I know, you know, people can point back to game seven and, you know, the Heat had a chance to take the lead with under 20 seconds after the Celtics had a double digit lead late, but they still got the job done and they still won. And that's all that matters at the end of the day. Um, you'd rather win, you know, win ugly than lose pretty as the saying goes. So I think this team has done a good job of um, when they, when they can win a game, when they feel like they can win a game, they, they do go and win those games. When the games are more in the balance, uh, they, they've struggled. I don't have the, let me see. I can see if I have the numbers right in front of me here. Um, from yesterday, I was ha looking up a bunch of stats and numbers. Uh, yeah, so so Celtics are seven and seventeen when a game is decided by five or less. Wow, and 50, 56 and twenty when it's two or more possessions. So um, that sort of speaks to the, those two games against the Warriors this year. This game is putting my head in a pickle because I responsibly and respectively picked each each one of these teams to win their conference but from your perspective without the bias aside what kind of prediction are you looking like for this uh series and you know can the celtics overcome this team of destiny and dynasty i mean this is what their sixth final no how many since 2015 i came to the math off my head oh I believe it's six. I think that's six. Like yeah. Or sixth appearances. So yeah. it's a, uh, it's the kind of like the David versus Goliath. No one saw the Celtics being here, but what predictions do you have from your, uh, from your side? I think it's going to be a really good series. I don't see it being as lopsided as the heat series was. It goes seven and, and it was three, three going into that last game, but the games itself during the series mm -hmm. weren't necessarily the most competitive. I think we're going to see a series like we saw with the Celtics and Nets in the first round, um, not by the final score of the series, but in the way that every game was played. It was 18 points that separated four games that the Celtics happened to be on the winning end of. Um, so the Celtics average margin of victory, quick math is four and a half points. You look at this series, I think the Warriors ultimately win, but I would never put money, you know, I wouldn't bet against the Celtics um, because they've been so good on the road. Miami was 9-0 at home in the playoffs, and the Celtics beat them all three times down there. Uh, and it seems like the harder that it gets and the more pressure that it gets, the Celtics bring out their A game every time when it's needed. So I'd probably have the Warriors in six or seven. Um, and if it's in five or six, and it's a little bit more of a blowout in terms of this, the final numbers series-wise. I don't think, though, the games will be as much. I think every single game we're going to get, you know, a, a really good game close. Um, and it just depends who makes the plays late. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm with you, Will. I, I can't – I really have no idea. Uh, I thought the Celtics were doomed for when they lost game six and had to go back to Miami. Um, and I – boy, was I wrong. Um, there's a little bias there, too. I just – I don't know. Like, the I want the Knicks to be in that situation so badly. And it's just not going to happen. So It's just so hard to look at. I mean, like you mentioned, Jason Tatum's only 24 years old. And obviously you have Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart's obviously a little bit older, but this team is so new and young and we've watched them grow over a couple of years, adding small pieces where the Warriors, these are the same three they've been since we were in high school. Right. So, you know, seeing them just continue their dominance, it's like, this is going to be a, this be a good one, but the Celtics definitely deserve to be there without a doubt. Yeah. Um, cool. That's the NBA finals. Uh, more before we let you go, we got to, talk about some pc hoops real quick uh as well um they hit the portal hard again this year uh coach cooley's been up and at it um, combat uh, I, that's what Robinson says portal combat yeah do you think do you think that's going to be the norm for ed cooley going forward just hit the portal hard you know maybe invest not a lot in the freshman and sort of you know that's his recruiting strategy or is just or is this just the product of the times we live in I think it's more product of the times we live in. However, when you do have a nice run, like the Friars did a lot of, a lot of talent goes into the portal. Sure. A lot of people talk about the, however many kids are left and they don't have the scholarships, but there's some top end talent in the portal that a lot of teams do want. And all of those kids will start to say, Hey, I want to go to Providence, right? Like if PC gets back in the dance and they make another run and, you know, even if it's not a sweet 16, even if they win one game, they're in the round of 32, they're close to that second weekend again. And that's two consecutive years. That success, you, you can't recruit, you cannot recruit that success. And what, and what I mean is all the marketing and all the, the exposure that you get by winning a tournament game and being in those lights, kids are just going to gravitate toward that. So I'm sure it was easier to recruit these guys this year coming off of a sweet 16 run, you know, than it was convincing like an Al Durham and a Justin Minaya to come to Providence. So I think there, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think Ed Cooley's still going to recruit the, the high school age and the freshmen. And um, I think now that when you have the success that he had, he can potentially take it a notch higher, you know, maybe he's in the mix, you know, he's in the mix for some four stars and maybe even some five stars um, that come out. So I think it's still going to be a, a mix and match of both, but all the talent that goes into the portal, if guys are knocking on your door saying, Hey, I like your style of play. I want to be coached by Ed Cooley, the, the national coach of the year. It's hard not to listen, right? So if you can get two or three guys every year in the portal because you're having success and they have, whether it's one year left of eligibility or two or three, and you can actually you know, grow with them and build a program, I don't see why, why you turn a blind eye to that. And it's going to be a whole new team coming into the uh... – dunk next season i mean not many returning uh players as a whole but jared Bynum not going to the nba draft anymore do you see any players maybe getting picked up in this uh nba draft in a couple of weeks or is it kind of just you know another guy like david duke who gets a a, a two-way contract and kind of sticks with the team you're talking friars yeah yeah i don't think anybody gets drafted um david probably had the best chance of of any Friar player in the last, you know, few years, um, you know, you'd have to go back to sort of Chris Dunn. Mm -hmm. um, trying to think. And even Bentel with the Celtics back then. Too. And Bentel, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Bentel was done for that year. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I think Duke was the best pro prospect. I think, you know, AJ Reeves has the best ceiling. Maybe Justin Minai has the best ceiling to, to eventually maybe squeak on to a, an NBA roster, sign a two-way deal because of their ability to shoot the three ball and play defense. But, you know, both of those players need to be a little bit better consistently from deep um, if they're going to be, you know, considered for that. Because you look at a Max Truce, you look at a Duncan Robinson, you look at these, these you know, hyper-specific 3 and D guys, and they knock down shots at a super, super high rate. And the NBA line is, is, is deeper, um, you know, obviously than the college line. So, you know, when A.J. Reeves is hot, he looks like an NBA prospect, right? He looks like an NBA player. Um, it just got to happen a little bit more consistently and, and injuries have sort of, you know, plagued him, but, um, you know, there, are, there aren't two nicer, um, kids than Justin and I and, and AJ Reeves. So if a team does want to take a chance on, on either of them, uh, same with Al Durham as well. Um, is there a world where Nate Watson goes drafted? Yes. Or did not even drafted or just, you know, in the league. Yeah, I guess in the league. Yeah, you, you, you never know. You, know. you never want to count guys out. You know, guys go overseas and play for four, five, six, seven, eight years, and then eventually come back and, and, get a, and get a contract. You look at a Brad Wanamaker comes to mind for the Celtics, played for a few years, and then he bounced around. He was on the Warriors, I believe he was Pacers for a little bit. Um, and he played, I think it was almost 10 years overseas. Now he was playing for some of the top, top teams, sort of the, the later part of his overseas career. Um, but I think if Nate goes overseas and he continues to make that jump shot, maybe slims down a little bit, um, doesn't need to add too much handle to his game because I don't think he'd ever be asked to, to handle the ball and bring it up the floor. But, you know, if there's a long rebound and you're out in space, sort of like what Bam Adebayo does occasionally, can you, can you, can you, can you lead a three on two fast break, be under control and then make a good play off of that? I think if he can do that, if he can add to his jump shot and he can expand it a little bit, you know, I think he could have a chance, but it all depends on the success that you have overseas. And then it all depends on your situation. That's, that's another big thing that a lot of people don't talk about. You can be overseas and you can be a star. You can be in a top league, making good money, all expenses paid for, for your family. You're traveling the world. You're seeing great places. Your jerseys are in stores. Do you want to come back and be the 15th man for the, fill in the blank Milwaukee Bucks or Minnesota Timberwolves and it's freezing cold the whole season and you're far away from your family like you could do the same thing overseas except be the star on a team now a lot of guys want to chase that dream of saying hey I played in the NBA I checked into an NBA game I totally totally get that um, and that's why a lot of guys ultimately if they do have the chance they come back to be one of those fringe players on a roster but um, you know you know you never know um, you know you know, hopefully one of those guys gets a crack. We could see a few of them potentially play in the G League, um, go the route that Jeff Doughton did from URI, you know, play in the G League, put up gaudy numbers and have a chance to, you know, come up to a team. It was, you know, I think he played, played a little bit for the Warriors this year, checked into a few games, and then the Magic was, is a better situation. You always want, if, if you are one of these guys, like Watson and Durham and Reeves and Manaya, you want to find a team that is not tanking, but but nowhere near the playoffs. They're more willing to give some of those fringe guys an opportunity. And, and then if, you know, if they do, who knows, you know, you play well in 10 games, you earn a second 10 day contract, and then you earn a contract for the rest of the year. 
And then if you play in the NBA for half a season, there's going to be teams that will give you a chance. So it's all about getting that first opportunity if they want it and then going from there. That's why I'm manifesting Peter Kiss to the Knicks. He's a scoring <laughs> that the Garden needs. <laughs> the, home, the, the hometown Knicks. Well, yeah, one thing for Peter, you know, I think he's got the skill and ability. He's just got to gotta watch himself personally. Um, that stuff doesn't fly uh, in the league in the next level. And I've known Peter for quite a while. We actually went to college together, uh, believe it or not. He was a true freshman my senior year. I was going to say, yeah, Quinnipiac. I was one of, um, the, one of the stops along the way, so. Yeah. That was, that was one of them. So I, I think, and you got to have the confidence. So he's got the confidence, but it can't go from confidence to that other C word, the cockiness. I, I think there's that fine line right there, but you know, who knows? He's got the athleticism. He's got the talent, probably has to shoot it a little bit better from deep. Didn't necessarily do that great this year. Um, but man, oh man, he's got, got the pogo stick athleticism to be able to play with anyone in the league. Hammer on the nail right there. Perfect. Well, Maury, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Before we let you go, you can do one or a couple best eats and drinks in Rhode Island. Say that one more time. Best eats and drinks in Rhode Island, your favorites. Eats and drinks. Oof, there's a lot. Um, we're in a really good spot. Eats, I would say, I'll take the easier way out and go anywhere on Federal Hill. Camille's is my favorite. I've only been there once, and that was for like a super special occasion, but I think the whole experience you get there, the dining experience, the food quality, the service is just top notch. And then I think for drinks, I mean, there are so many good local breweries, um, man. Um, I think Bayberry Beer Garden's good. Um, the place up in Pawtucket, I'm forgetting the name. It doesn't really rule too much out in Pawtucket. I know there's one good spot though. I'm forgetting. Foolproof, um, uh, Crooked Current, Smug, Guild. The Guild. Guild is damn solid. Oh, damn. We're, we're not, we're anti-Guild people. <laughs> you guys are anti-Guild. Okay. Um, okay. We'll give you a free pass. Really, I, honestly, really anywhere with a, with a, with a TV. I, I prefer to go to a sports bar, and if there's anything local on tap, I'll grab that. Um, but... Yeah, I know you guys are you guys are the IPA connoisseurs. I'm uh, I'm not too too big on on IPAs. Um, sort of more more like whiskey and bourbon. Um, but yeah, I mean I can always enjoy a, a good IPA every once in a while. You'll have to head down to uh, Newport Craft if you haven't. Um, they have a really good uh, spirit selection as well. Their whiskey is. Uh, we had Brendan, who's the CEO of their brand down there, and uh, they have great whiskey. If you like that as well. Very good. Yeah, perfect. I'll, I'll, I'll have to do that for sure. Uh, and you guys got to give me other couple places for, uh, for a good IPA. Absolutely. Absolutely. When they, uh, when the Celtics win the finals, we'll, we'll, we'll all go out and grab a beer at long live. All right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Long live another good place. But sometimes when I'm on the spot, I don't know, <laughs> sort of forget a few of them, but yeah, I've, I've been to probably three or four or five. Nice. Cool. Oh, yeah. yeah, Long lives our favorite spot. That's the, that is the spot. Um, so we'll, we'll all go. Let's, uh, let's hope for an entertaining NBA finals. Maury Hirschgordon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Maury, thanks so much for joining us here. Where can everybody find you uh, maybe on social media and how can they engage with the content that you guys are putting out at WPRI? Yeah, you got it. Uh, so it's our website, WPRI.com. Um, you know, we've got three, four, five, six new pieces of content daily, you know, on, on all three levels. 
And then on Twitter as well, my handle's mhirschgordon. Uh, you can find our our other teammates as well on Twitter, you know, Taylor Begley, Sam Knox, JP Smallins, like I mentioned earlier. And then every night, you know, four, five, six o'clock, we've got stuff in, in those shows on, on WPRI 12 and uh, 10, 10, 30 and 11. We're on Fox Providence and, and Channel 12 as well. So uh, that spans Rhode Island. It spans Southeastern Mass. Um, and I also want to give a, a quick shout out to you guys as well for having me on and uh, appreciate the time. We'll have to do it again sort of when college basketball season kicks up because uh, the Bryant Bulldogs are going to have a chance to win the America East, I think. That's the, that's the right answer. There wow. We go. Us, uh, 40 minutes into this for you to give us the best uh, line that anyone said on this podcast. Well, we'll, fin- we'll finish on top there. How about that? <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Well, Maury, have a good round of golf and uh, good luck this finals. And we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. And that was just Maury Hirsch Gordon, WPRI sports director. Um, his interview was brought to you by Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com slash house for 20% off plus free international shipping. Uh, lawnmower, for, lawnmower 4.0 is one of our favorite products. We hope you get your hands on yours. You can get it at your doors in a couple of just short days. If you go to manscaped.com slash house for 20% off and free shipping. But yeah, Maury, um, one of the prominent news figures in Rhode Island. So we appreciate the time. He's always great chatting it up at PC games and uh, we hope for his case he can head over to the uh, you know the garden for some uh, NBA coverage in this finals but great work all around and great chatting it up and chatting hoots with uh, Maury yeah good dude uh, that OG Bryant believer OG Bryant was, believer they were three and 28 the year before and he was the only one the only news guy that showed up that one day and everyone his boss Yanni's like why are you coming to Bryant because they're gonna be good and they're gonna be good he was right. I mean, it's kind of crazy though, with like the the connection of Grasso and Peter Kiss. So it's like, is that nuts? He went to school with Peter Kiss. Yeah, when he said that, I literally like had to pause because it's like I knew Peter Kiss went to Quinnipiac, but it also wasn't like that was seven years ago. <laughs> That's what like Maury and I would text. He'd be. He was uh, last year. I think he's. It was something. Maury's like, dude, Kiss is coming back. He's my. He's literally like a couple years younger than me. I and Maury's a couple years older than us. Yeah, I still don't think he's out of the picture. I think he's done. I'm not closing that door yet. Uh, until I hear his name called on the draft, I suppose you're right. But because even then. Even then, it's like, oh, you know, the G League wants him. He didn't get drafted in the top 60. Does, you know, does he want to do that? I, yeah. I think he can have a nice pro career. That's the thing. So I think so, too. I really do. Somewhere. Like I said, he's a G League. He could be a G League lifer. Maybe sign a two-way like David Duke did. Yeah. That's okay. If that's his ceiling, I'm cool with that. He's a Bryant professional guy. I don't think anyone's ever done that in the U.S. So No be cool probably not no no I, I don't think so no i don't know i don't know who would like joe o'shea <laughs> i was gonna say a name but never mind oh god right, we'll, we'll catch up offline about that um dread adushin <laughs> oh dread <Dren>, dude <laughs> dread i love that kid 
No, he he has. I, I loved Ren, but he has no. I'm sorry. No, yeah. I'm not going to disparage him. He was a nice kid. He would he would always like roll through our house. Listen, man. everyone. Yeah, he was a nice dude. Doesn't he hang out with uh with like Kojo and stuff? I'm a nice dude. I ain't going to the NBA. <laughs> like, nice has nothing to do with it. Yeah, I mean you're also not seven two though. Just to, no, uh, no. Yeah, he was. He uh he had I think six total minutes of play at Bryant. Six more minutes than you or I had. That's true. So that is true. That's our show. Um, that's episode 89. We'll be back next week. Uh, you're hitting the road again. You're going to Bermuda. Going to Bermuda. Thoughts? Uh, what are you looking for from this from this excursion? Just relaxing. <laughs> Just relaxing. Absolutely nothing. You need those. Yep. That's yep. that's our episode. Um And we'll be back next week. That's Will and I'm Jake. So long, folks. Take it easy.